0: Gentlemen upstairs, we're going to go ahead and skip over to number 500, and the roll is called up yonder. That's 500 in your book if you want to use it, everyone. <laughs> when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning of His red sorry. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. That bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 yonder, I'll be there, (laughs) amen. (laughs) Well, I guess we do have time for this other one that I skipped. It's number 20 in the hymnal, if you'd like to use it. And we'll go to that last one upstairs more. Here we go. We praise thee, O God, our Redeemer. I love this hymn. We praise thee, O God, our Redeemer, Creator, in grateful devotion, our tribute we bring. We lay it before thee. We kneel and adore thee. We bless thy holy name, glad praises we sing. We worship thee, God of our fathers, we bless thee. Through life's storm and tempest, our guide hast thou been. When perils o'ertake us, escape thou wilt make us, and we. Thy help, O Lord, our battles we win With voices united Our praises we offer to thee Great Jehovah, glad anthems we raise Thy strong arm will guide us Our God is beside us our great Redeemer, forever be praised. Amen. Amen. All right, Brother Bill.
1: All right, uh, Larry said, uh, no, Joshua said, Somebody said the Lord is going to stand on the earth, right? Okay, what are we going to do until then? Well, that's what we're going to sing about this morning. So we're going to ask you to stand one more time to hold to God's unchanging hand,
2: okay? Time is filled with swift transition. Sing with me not of earth unmoved can stand build your hopes on things eternal and hold to God's unchanging hand hold to God's unchanging hand hold to God's unchanging hand hope some things eternal and hold oh, the gods in changing hands trust in him who will you. not leave you whatsoever years may bring friends forsaken still more closely to and clean help us out hold to God's unchanging hand hold to God's unchanging hand hand. build your hopes on things eternal hold to God's unchanging hand Covet not this world's vain riches That so rapidly decay Seek to gain heavenly treasure They will never pass away Oh, to God's unjust God's unchanging hand, build your hopes on things eternal, hold God's unchanging hand. When your journey is completed, and the Lord does call for you, and glory your enraptured soul will heal oh, oh, hold to God's unchanging hand Hold to God's unchanging hand feel your hopeful things eternal Oh, hold to the God's unchanging hand In the hand, hold God's unchanging hand. Build your hope on things eternal. Hold God's unchanging hand. Hold God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging.
1: that wasn't too bad for an unrehearsed number. <laughs> I'd like to ask you to turn in your
2: Bible
1: and hope that uh, everything is going well for you this past week. Have you ever heard the expression, I don't know if it's a southern expression or if it's uh just well-known everywhere, he went around his elbow to get to his nose. Have you ever heard that expression? You know what it means? <laughs> yeah, it, it's an apology for taking a long route to a short destination. So to get a, go around your elbow to get to your nose means you, to take the opposite of a shortcut. And for my last study, I, I'm going to still be talking to you today about the last days. But we're going to take a longer path to get where we're going. There are in the Bible four passages that have the phrase last days. And I'm going to deal, God willing, with three of them today and give you some pertinent information regarding that. Now, Acts chapter two in your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in Acts chapter two. I want to say again, I appreciate all of you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your gifts that you give to enable this assembly to continue. I appreciate all of those of you watching by the internet who also support this ministry. We couldn't do it without you. We appreciate it. We don't ask for gifts. We do that purposely. We don't even take in a, up a collection in this church. We just have offering boxes and people give as they are led of the Lord. We hope to do so. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is the famous Pentecostal passage. And by Pentecost, I do not mean the modern idea of tongue speaking. I mean the Jewish feast that occurred 50 days after Passover called Pentecost. You notice in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord, one place. There came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now everybody was shocked and surprised. If you skip down to verse 6, when this was noised about. The multitude came together and they were confounded. And this is the explanation of the tongues here. Very clear. I don't know how we confused it. Every man heard them speak in his own language. Now there's a word dialectos that's used in the New Testament. Dialect. There's a word glosa which means language. That is a language that has an alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and uh, has nouns and adjectives and verbs and pronouns and you can teach that language. That's the word that's used here. I I have friends that are Pentecostals and I'm not making fun of them, but the tongues of Acts chapter two is not what happened when a fellow was in Mexico and he ran, somebody stole his motorcycle. He was driving a Honda motorcycle. And he didn't know what to do. And he ran into the first building he saw. And he didn't realize that it was a Pentecostal church. And when he rode it, around in there, he said, someone stole a my Honda. Someone stole a my Honda. And they said, revival broke out. So I don't mean that. It says here very clearly, every man heard them speak in his own language, and they were all amazed. And they said, Well, aren't all these men Galileans? How do they how do we hear them speak in our language and any names? A bunch of people here, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia. It goes all the way down to Jews and proselytes, verse 11. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed. They said, what in the world is this? Well, some folks that came in and didn't understand what was going on thought they'd been drinking. Verse 13. Peter said, no, it's too early for us to be drinking. He says, these are not drunken, verse 15. It's only the third hour of the day. What time would that be? That'd be nine o'clock in the morning. Nine o'clock morning. This is that. Here's where we want to go. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel or Joel. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching, reading of his word. Let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now, today is the 10th study in this series of the return of Messiah. And this is what I call part two of the last days. I spoke to you last week on the last days. Part one and part two will be today. As I have said, there are four passages in the New Testament that use the term last days. You notice in verse 17 of Acts chapter 2, it shall come to pass in the last days. He quoted the prophet Joel. You can read that in Joel chapter 2, about verses uh, 27, 28 to about verse 30. He quotes him just about verbatim. So this is the first of the three passages that we'll consider today. It shall come to pass in the last days. Now, let's dissect this very simply. First of all, he says that the last days are going to be marked by the pouring out of the Spirit of God, marked by the last verse that we read, verse 21, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that never happened in history. That didn't happen in the Old Testament. That is strictly a New Testament phenomenon. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then he begins to tell them the gospel in verses 22 and following. He tells them that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He tells them that Jesus came into the world and demonstrated that he was Messiah by signs and wonders and miracles and all of these things. He tells them uh, that he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, verse 23. In other words, God sent him into the world to be a substitute, to be a sacrifice for the people that God is going to save. And he said, you took him, and here's what you did. In your hatred of him, you fulfilled the scriptures. You did what you wanted to do and you brought the scriptures that had been predicted hundreds of years ago. You brought them to pass. You fulfilled them. And he goes on, talks about David talking about the Messiah in verse 25. He goes on and tries to explain to them the Old Testament passages regarding the Messiah and he says what I have told you all the time. He says when the prophets and the holy man and all of those people spoke about things. They were speaking about him, that this is a hymn book, H-I-M book. You can't go wrong when you're looking for him. It talks about law. It talks about uh, Israel. It talks about other things. But the theme of Scripture is Jesus Christ. He is the hymn. He, he is the theme. He, it is a hymn book. And he ends up by saying, in verse 36, "Let all the house of Israel know for sure that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ." Now let's deal just simply with verses 17 through 21. He says, "The last days, in the last days, the Spirit of God will be poured out on all." flesh. What that means is not just certain persons, such as prophets, or holy men and holy women, not just the flesh of Israel, but all kinds of flesh. And he says, both men and women, he says in verse 17, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, men and women shall Prophetuo, that's the word. You know what it means? It means two things. It means to foretell and it means to tell forth. The Old Testament prophets foretold and these New Testament people that are mentioned here in verse 17, tell forth. What we're doing in this generation, we are telling forth what God has done And we are foretelling what we think God is going to do in the last days. The telling forth of the gospel, he says here, involves what is looked upon as visions and dreams. To the unbelieving world, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus the present intercession of Jesus as the enthroned and glorified Christ and the coming again of Jesus as the promised Messiah to the unbelieving world. That's the stuff of visions and dreams. Believing in a God no one has ever seen, trusting in a Savior one cannot see is equivalent to a vision or a dream, but to the believer. To the believer, these dreams and visions of a new heaven and a new earth, a world without defect, a perfect world, a world without sin, and the possession of eternal life are a reality. Now, if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can, but this is going to be on the board. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a brief definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Okay? Let's see if we can get that passage up on the board. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Faith is the substance. That is a Greek term, whoostasis, and it means it has to do with the very nature, the very foundation of what is hoped for. Faith is the substance, it is the nature, it is the foundation of what is hoped for. Now the word hope here, elpidzo, that's a word that doesn't mean something like I hope so, I'm not sure whether it's going to happen or not. It might. It might not. The word elpizo, as it is used in the New Testament, translated hope, simply means something that is certain, but it is future. Something that is future, but it is certain. So that which is hoped for simply means is something that we know for sure by faith, but it's future. Many translated it, faith is the assurance of things which are certain but future. To have faith is to be sure of our future in heaven with Christ. Then he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. The evidence of things not seen. And that is a Greek term that means the proof. It is the proof. It is the, uh, the, the, it's like having it in your hands. To possess saving faith, to believe God is to be sure of the things we hope for and to be certain of the things we cannot see. And he tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, Without faith, without this kind of faith, believing God, it is impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So when I say, I need to bring a whole study on this, but when I say I'm saved, I am uttering a statement solely on the basis of faith. I don't have a certificate from heaven signed by Jesus that says the bearer of this certificate is righteous, before God. The last days will be marked by a telling forth of the good news of the gospel, a telling forth of what has been done and what is to be done, a telling forth of the promise of God to receive as his children all who believe on him through faith in And obedience to his beloved son. And all of these things and more began with the first coming of Christ. But they won't end until his second coming. When you read everything that Peter says here. Obviously, obviously all that Peter said has not yet come to pass but it will. I believe that this passage of Scripture where he's quoting Joel is something that marks the last days, as it says in verse 17, and the last days will last from the time that Jesus came until the time that Jesus comes again. So we didn't see, uh, even though when the Lord was hanging on the cross, it says that the sky went dark, but we didn't see Uh, Verse 19, uh, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. I mean, you'd have to stretch all of that to say that happened then. But it's going to happen before the great and terrible day of the second coming of the Lord takes place. So it's obvious to me that everything hasn't come to pass. You know, I have told you, and this is the one passage that I'm not going to deal with today. We're going to try to deal with it next week. Is Hebrews eleven one, God who at sundry times and in divers manners in time past spoke by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. So the last days began when Christ was born, and we've been in the last days now for over two thousand years. And I constantly remind you we're not on our timetable of days and nights and years; we're on His timetable, and He's above time. With him one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So in, this la- in these last days, he tells us that it shall come to pass, verse 21, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord should be saved. So Peter, quoting Joel, tells us that the last days will be a time when multitudes... From all over the earth will be saved. And they'll be saved by calling on the name of the Lord. And the Lord will be a man named Jesus. A man who is God in the flesh. So the preaching of the gospel and the conversion of multitudes signal the beginning of the last days. Okay? Hope that's clear. James chapter 5 now. Let's turn to the... Book of James, chapter 5, over near the end of the New Testament. And this is a second passage that uh, uses uh, the term, this phrase, last days. James, chapter 5. We don't usually relate this. This uh, I hadn't heard anybody teach on this recently. But I'm going to try to open up some of it to you today. James chapter 5, second passage, verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and hile for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, And the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Now, in the United States, everyone is rich when compared to most of the other citizens of the world. Don't believe that. Ask Brother Bob Castle about that. He has Riches from the Castle, a blog. He speaks to several different countries or nations in Africa. And uh, when they look at people in the United States, they think each one of us has a kingdom compared to what they have. Even the people here on welfare have food and usually housing. And over there, they sleep in mud huts, sleep on the ground, sleep under the stars, all of those things. Now listen to me this morning. This is a little comical, but it's so true. I looked up riches in the United States, and I looked up first on vocabulary.com. Vocabulary.com says this, one way to define being rich is having a high net worth. Clearly, to be considered rich, you'd need to have more assets than other Americans, end of quote. You know what that tells us about riches? Who's rich? Nothing. <laughs> it doesn't tell us anything. Then I looked at Prudential.com, Prudential.com, and I asked this, what classifies you as rich? And they said, someone who has $1 million in liquid assets for instance is usually considered to be a high net worth individual you might need five to ten million to qualify as having a very high net worth while it may take thirty million or more to be considered ultra high net worth what does that tell us? Nothing (laughs) what is your definition of being rich that was a question they posed this is what they said. Someone considered rich has access to more resources, access to more resources than the average person, which may include money in the bank, or investments, physical items like cars or houses, or intangible benefits like having a network of influential friends or access to luxury experiences. End of quote. I believe it tells us nothing. James, let me give you a little bit of relief here. <laughs> James is not concerned about your tax return, when he talks about riches. He's not concerned about your net worth. He's not really concerned about riches per se, but he's concerned about what we have done or what we have not done with what God has given us. That is what he's concerned about. Do you remember the parable Jesus told about the three men who were given a certain amount of talents and told to invest them as found in Matthew chapter 25. Now I want to let talent, talents as used in the Bible was an amount of money But I'm going to use talents this morning to mean a gift that God gives you. Like what kind of talent do you have? Can you sing? Can you play? Can you speak? Can you witness? Can you whatever? A talent, as used in the Bible, it was an old world word that referred to a sum of money. But I think I can make what I'm trying to say easier to understand uh, if I use it to refer to your ability or your natural gift, something you were born with, something you can develop. So, number one, we know that some of us were given more or less talents than others, right? In the parable of Matthew chapter 25, one was given 10 talents, one was given five talents, and one was given one talent. The one who had 10 talents, he gained 10 more with it. He invested it, and he gained 10 more. The one who had five gained five more. The one that had one talent did nothing with it. In fact, he buried it. Now, it's very important that Jesus makes no distinction regarding how much each person was given, but what they did with what they were given. We know it is the God of heaven who sovereignly gives to every person as it pleases him. And none of us can do anything about the number of talents that were given at birth or the kind of talents we're given but we can do something about what we do with what we have been given now who would have thought that there would come a time in this country when folks would get rich by storing for the American people things that we don't have room for in our homes uh, all of us are getting a little closer to home, there, isn't it? <laughs> we now have a television program called "The American Hoarder." Hoarding is now classified as disorder. I looked it up. "Quote a hoarder, a hoarding disorder." That is the psychiatrist and psychologist are now now identifying in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Psychiatry. Hoardom is a problem. A hoarder, a hoarding disorder is identified as having an excessive number of items and storing them in a chaotic manner, a chaotic manner usually re- resulting in unmanageable amounts of clutter. The items can be of little or no monetary value. Hoarding in the United States affects close to 2.6% of all Americans, according to the American Psychiatry Association. And for the first time in 2012, hoarding was added to the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Psychiatry for the first time in 2012 and hoarding is divided into five stages ranging from minimal hoarding to extreme hoarding. (laughs) James is right on the money. You know what he's saying right here? He says your riches have rotted away and your clothes have been eaten by moths. We store away things, and we go in there they're eaten up. (laughs) Your gold and silver, that's your money, He says, they're covered with rust. Translation, you haven't done a thing with what the Lord has given you. Except used it for yourself. Consequently, he says, James says, these things will be a solid witness against us. And he says, and this this is very important, that wealth is a sign of the beginning of the last days. There are more wealthy people in the world today than ever in history. Before you had wealthy people, but it was like one-tenth of one percent. Money can't be eaten. Money can't sustain the body. It can't be used to build a house just with money. Money is only useful if it's spent or if it's given away. And so I ask myself a lot, why should we pray for the Lord to bless us with more wealth if we're not using the wealth we have for the glory of God and the good of souls? James tells us that great prosperity will mark the last days. You realize that just before the 1929 stock market crash, everything was going great? They were building a bank on every corner. The stock market was up. Everything was just fantastic. And they didn't tell as many lies through radio as we do now through television. And American people don't have a clue of where we are in the United States. Our indebtedness in this nation, this nation alone, what we owe in this nation is more than all of the monetary value of the rest of the world. If we had to pay up right now, we would be broke. We'd have nothing. It is estimated that there are almost 60 million millionaires in the world today. There are 24.5 millionaires in America. That's more people than in the entire state of Florida. And 90% of the millionaires in America are in real estate. 90% 90% in real estate. You see, they're not making any more land, as far as I know. <laughs> That's very valuable. On November the 7th, 2022, someone won $2.04 billion in the Powerball win. I, I say to Lynn all the time, she gets tired of hearing me say it. And I say, you know, if got, you got a you got hundred million won in the lottery, why don't you take a hundred people and give each one a million dollars? I mean, if you want to help the economy. 2.4 billion, 2.04 billion in the Powerball in November of 2022. And I think since then there's been a larger one than that. James is telling us that in the last days riches will rise up in judgment because we'll be increasing in wealth but we will not be using it as we should. It will be like wealth that's stored. It'll be like wealth that's hoarded. It will be like wealth that's been eaten up by moths. It will be gathering rust it's not doing any good to anything we're just hoarding it up or spending it on ourselves and the scripture teaches us that whatever the Lord gives us if the Lord increases his blessings upon me financially it is that I may be able to do more with what I have all right did you get that lesson (laughs) He says, uh, the last days, in the last days, he says, you've heaped up treasure together for the last days, James 5, in verse 3. All right, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second to Peter. So the last days are going to be characterized by the preaching of the gospel and the increase of wealth. I bet you hadn't heard much of that. Recently, and the scoffing, increasing of scoffers, Second Peter, Chapter Three and Verse Three, Second Peter. Chapter 3 and verse 3 Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. Scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where's the promise of His coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. For this they are willingly ignorant that by the Word of God the heavens were of old, that is, God created the heavens by His Word out of the water. The water, earth standing out of the water and in the water. And that same word brought the flood, verse 6. The flood that then was, was overflowed, the earth that God created by His word. He destroyed by His word with a flood. And then, verse 7 the same word keeps everything in place, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Now, I have spent sufficient time on these verses in previous studies, so I'm going to be brief here. And I'm going to make 10 little observations here. Along with all the prosperity in the last days, there's going to be an uprising of what translated in the King James Version as scoffers. The Greek word is empictes, and it means Deceivers. It means mockers, people who mock, who are openly uh, ridiculing the gospel and the things that God says in his word. It says in verse 3 that their lives, these scoffers, these mockers, their lives will be marked by openly living in More and more ungodliness and daring anyone to do anything about it. You see, the King James Version says they walk, they walk in their lust. That means that's an open, unashamedly professing, ridicule, scoffing against the Lord, against his Christ against the people of God, against all things that are holy, everything that's biblical. The focus of their scoffing, verse 4, will be on the second coming of Christ. There'll be other things that they'll ridicule, but that will be the focus. You talk about Jesus coming, Jesus coming, Jesus coming, Jesus is not coming. We've heard Jesus is coming for centuries now. He's not coming. He says that they will be vastly ignorant of the scriptures Completely unaware of the fact that by denying the scriptures, they fulfill them. I've noticed that when I hear people interviewed on television and they talk about some of the things I'm going to bring up to you in just a moment. They never reference the Bible. You see, if you don't reference the word of God, then all it is is your opinion against their opinion. They think it's okay, you say it's not okay. So by what standard are you judging what's okay and not okay? You have to have a standard, a standard by which all opinions stand and fall. And the only standard we've had in the West and the United States is the Bible. I keep telling you, when we get away from the Bible, the more we get away from the Bible, the more these preachers and teachers and, and pastors and churches do not emphasize teaching the Bible. The more people are going to be confused and the more people are going to make the terrible mistake of thinking that their opinion is equal to any other opinion, even the opinion of God. The only way you can determine what is right and what is wrong is if it's in the Bible. Otherwise, whoever is in power determines what's right and wrong. The golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules. That's the modern definition of the golden rule. Not do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself, but do unto others before they do it unto you. That's the golden rule in America. That's because of the ignorance of Scripture. Now, verses 5 through 7. He says, God will allow them the freedom to do as they do in order to leave them without excuse in the great day of judgment. This is what he tells us in verses 5 through 7. At one point when Jesus was being arrested by the Jews and taken to the Romans... Judas had betrayed him. It says Satan entered into Judas. And he betrayed him. And you wonder why did this happen? Jesus said to the Jews. He said this is your day of darkness and wickedness. This is your day. There's coming a a time when I'm going to have my day. I'm not going to be here then as the lamb. I'm going to be here as the lion. I'm here as the lamb now to sacrifice myself for my people's sake. This is your day. And God, in verses 5 through 7, he's going to give this world its day. He's going to give these scoffers their day. They're going to have the freedom to do as they want to do. And they're going to be without excuse in the day of judgment. See, God doesn't have to reach down out of heaven and slap somebody, he has arranged the world in such a way that there is a built-in punishment when you won't do what he says. There's a built-in punishment. When you won't follow God's word, you reap the consequences of that. Now in verses 8 and 9, while they waste their precious lives on the lust of the flesh, They've been given time and space to repent and seek the Lord while He may be found. Verses eight and nine. He says, "Now, beloved, don't be ignorant of this one thing." I quoted this earlier. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years. Again, I'll say this. I've said it repeatedly. Doesn't mean day one day is equal to a thousand. Thousand equal. To, it means God is above time. It means there is no time with God whether it's a thousand years or one day, is nothing to him. He's above time. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. He is long-suffering to us, not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. Nobody will be able to say, "Well, I didn't have time, at least not in the United States, I didn't have time to seek the Lord. And when the Lord comes, in verse 10, they will be in shock and dismay, completely without hope, completely without direction. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and everything in it will be burned up. Now, they've been thinking the whole time, Back up in verse 4, they've been thinking the whole time that everything's going to continue as it has for thousands of years. So they've taken no heed to how they should have been living their lives. And so you skip from verse 4 to verse 11, you see what happens. All these things are going to be dissolved. You see what kind of people you ought to be what kind of lives you ought to be living you ought to be a living a life just seeking the Lord while he may be found and calling upon him while he's near verse 12 apparently they have never given a thought about the end of all things nor of the value of their souls they think everything's going to continue and so they'll find themselves lost and undone when the heavens are on fire and the world is melting verse 12 Looking far and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. How many of you heard this past week that they're concerned about Russia putting nuclear weapons up in space? This melting, the heavens on fire, the elements melting. That's almost an exact definition of what happens when a nuclear bomb is dropped. The very air burns with fire. They were afraid when they, when they dropped the atom bomb. The atom bomb. They were afraid then that maybe the air would catch on fire. And we're way beyond that now. Now we're in nuclear. Nuclear uh, bombs nuclear missiles. Now I don't want to embarrass anybody. I talk to my men while I go in the in our prayer room and you could come in any of you men are welcome to come in uh, and, and this, the Bible uh, my little office over there uh, we're not going to ask you to read scripture or pray. I always read scripture and pray, but you can come in there and be present with us if you want. And I asked him a while ago, I said, you know, I don't know how far I need to go sometimes when I'm talking because uh, we, we see all this stuff on television, but when we get in church, then the people get embarrassed. And then they say, well, you shouldn't be saying anything about that in church. I read years ago where a woman refused to read the book of Hosea because she said it was about a fallen woman. <laughs> well, my friends, I don't think we need to stick our head in the sand as the ostrich does. I think we need to deal with the truth. Now, I've already mentioned in the last few weeks much has been made of earthquakes and natural disasters. Our Lord said there'd be an increase both in the number and in the intensity Of natural phenomena including famine and so on. According to the Richter scale there have been 19 earthquakes on the 4.5 Richter scale uh, or greater in the last three days. So we're having earthquakes everywhere all the time. According to the officials who watch such things quote earthquakes are becoming more frequent and more severe. Jesus compared in Matthew 24, 8, he compared an increase in earthquakes and other natural disasters to the beginning of birth pains. He compared that to a woman who begins to have labor pains, resulting in giving birth to a child. Jesus warned us in Luke chapter 17, verses 28 and 30. Let me read it to you. As it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But the same day Lot went out of Sodom. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The days of Lot were characterized by three things. Sodomy, which is homosexuality. Incest. Lot had children by his two daughters. And apostasy. Lot's wife looked back when they were going out of the city. Those things will begin to characterize the world in the last days of earth. We're now witnessing a dramatic rise, a dramatic acceptance, and even celebration of what was once looked upon as perverted behavior including homosexuality, incest, and the abuse of children on a major scale. It is estimated that 216,000 children were abused by a Catholic priest between 1950 and 2020. And that when you add to that the abuse by other Catholic church employees, it increases the total to over 330,000 abused children. In addition to this, a bishop in the Catholic Church, Bishop Pat Buckley said, quote, studies show that 80% of the priests have broken their vows of celibacy. As you know, and as I have mentioned in the last few weeks, the Roman Pope has approved blessings for same-sex couples. This past Friday, February the 16th, 2024, the nation of Greece officially passed laws allowing same-sex marriage. The Church of England is considering adopting a don't ask, don't tell policy regarding the LGBTQ revolution. The federal government has ruled that the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause prevents any state, including the state of Tennessee, from denying marriage to same-sex couples. In the case of Obergefell versus Hodge, 2015, requires all states to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Theo Hobson, you've never heard his name, but he's in England, well-known man there, he suggested in an article that appeared in a magazine called The Spectre, a magazine published in the United Kingdom, that the Church of England should adopt an agnostic policy toward homosexuality. An agnostic is one who believes that the question is either unanswerable or the answer is unknowable. And this would allow the church to drop the ban on the gay clergy and the ban on the blessing of gay unions in marriage, but retain its opposition to gay marriage. Hobson ends his article by saying that when the church is asked its position on homosexuality, the answer should be, we do not know now. The church is supposed to say, we don't know. You want to read Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20? You'll know. You get in your Bible, read it. Romans chapter 1? You'll know. Certain chapters in Timothy? You'll know. The Bible condemns all such lifestyles. The Episcopal Church in the United States, the Evangelical Lutheran Church and the Episcopal Church now allow the ordination of openly gay, lesbian, bisexual, and or transgender persons. The Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Society of Friends, once it's Quaker, the Unitarian Universalist Association Church, the United Church of Christ, all sanction same-sex marriage. Jesus said, when you see these things, he said, lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. Let me close out by giving you some shocking information. I don't think I'm going to hurt a lot of young people because they, they're not going to know what these terms mean. All of these, Matthew 24, 8, are the beginning of sorrows. You can hardly turn on your television without seeing an appeal for the poor people of India, Africa, Mexico, South America, Ukraine, and even Israel who are experiencing dreadful famine and pestilence, often because of war. Well, what's happening in the good old USA? Do you remember how people reacted when the towers in New York were bombed? All they they did was, they just knocked down a couple of Twin Towers in New York. People went absolutely crazy. They started singing, God bless America in the seventh inning of all the baseball games. The churches didn't have seats for people. People were crowding into the churches. What do you think is going to happen when this nation really goes to war? What's happening in the good old USA? At the end of 2022, over 39 million people in the United States were living with HIV. And now they're Advertising a drug on television says you can take that and it covers up it and nobody knows you have it. That's advertised on television. I've seen it two or three times. Covers up all the symptoms of HIV. The rate of heterosexual HIV transmission has increased 44% since 1989. STD, sexually transmitted diseases, affect 20 million people per year in the United States. According to official reports, more than 1 million women experience pelvic inflammatory disease each year. One and a half new new cases, one and a half million new cases each year of gonorrhea. 70% increase in syphilis. 776,000 new cases of herpes each year. Chlamydia, which is the most commonly sexually transmitted infection, almost $4 a year. Do you think we can continue to do that and function as a society? No, we cannot. The economy is going to fall. It's going to take too much money to take care of people. The Bible tells us in Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12, that iniquity, that's a word that means... It's a word that means against law, anomia, anomian, lawlessness. Because there'll be lawlessness breaking out everywhere, mutual love and respect will give way to hatred and superstition. What are you seeing when, you watch, when you're looking on your TV? Yeah, the, the Kansas City Chiefs couldn't even have a Super Bowl celebration. Broken up, I don't know. I think I, didn't I see that there were almost a million people One shooter, one shooter, one person was killed. That's a miracle. One person was killed and about 20 or 22 were injured. One shooter broke up over a half million people. One shooter. What do you think is going to happen when they break out all over this nation? Then the Bible says that it's going to be worldwide political and economic ecumenism. You know what that means, coming together as one. Somebody tell me, when was the last time the world was one? Well, it was at the time of Babel. At the time of Babel, and God saw the wickedness that every man's heart and thoughts were only evil continuously, and he came down, and he broke up the language so they couldn't understand one another, and they scatter. Now what we're doing is the more we become one. Because now at the United Nations you just put on a headset and whoever's talking he can be, he can be talking in the Czechoslovakian language. You can hear him because you've got a translator. And the more the world becomes one the more wicked the world becomes. At that particular time at Tower of Babel the world was one. It was only one language. And the Lord stopped. The building of that tower by breaking up the oneness, and he did that by breaking up the one language into many languages. And because they couldn't understand one another, of course, they couldn't communicate. They were scattered to the four corners of the earth. Through modern technology, the world is rapidly becoming one again. And with the increasedness, increase in oneness, we see the increase in wickedness and the increase in war against holy things. Mysticism, the occult, witchcraft are now offered as classes in many schools and universities while the name of Jesus Christ is prohibited. I've seen that. I'm not just telling you what I've heard. I've seen that. I saw it just the other day on television about these classes in mysticism, the occult, and witchcraft. And just recently, as all of you know, three elite university presidents Refused to agree to calls for the genocide of the Jews would violate rules for campus conduct. Thousands of Christians are being slaughtered around the world every day. Have you seen any news reports on it? Thousands of Christians a day are slaughtered every day in this world. Have you seen any reports in the news about it? No. There is a general antichrist spirit loose in this world and it's rapidly growing. Public schools, once the foundation of educating children in the teachings of Christ are now antichrist. All right, let me close. I'm going to read this to you. First John chapter two, verse 18. Little children, it's the last time and as you've heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists. Whereby we know that it is the last time. That's First John 2:18. Now, First John chapter 4, verse 3: Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. Every spirit, every person, every individual. That will not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. What is the significance of believing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Well, nothing unless he's God. If he's God, and you say he came in the flesh, you're confessing something that the world does not believe. Jesus was a good man. He might have even been a prophet. Even Islam acknowledges that Jesus was a prophet. But Islam has a special word that they apply to anybody who believes that Jesus Christ was God. It is the word shirk, S-H-I-R-K. You are a shirk. And that is the worst of all sins to confess that any man could be God. And we confess that unless Jesus is God, we have no Savior. We have no hope. We have no salvation. We have no gospel. I believe that the end of civilization as we know it is near. And that we cannot continue as we are without utterly destroying the nation and the world. But... These things signal that the king may be at the door. He's coming for his church. He's coming to get his people. He's going to come and get his bride. The judge is coming. He's coming to the earth. He's going to divide the wicked from the just, the sheep from the goat, the wise from the tares, the foolish from the wise. He's going to divide the world. He is a divider, as I said last week. Wherever he goes, he brings division. So the question is, whose side are we on? I'm going to stand with him. May the Lord add his blessings to his teaching. Let's stand together. Thank you for your time and for your attention. And I hope you will pray for me because I want to remain faithful during these increasingly darkening days. And I pray for you that you will remain faithful, and that we will continue to assemble ourselves together to worship the Lord as long as the Lord permits us to do so. Unless the Lord sends an awakening to this nation and to this world, uh, we're done for. It is just a matter of time. Father in heaven, I call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your precious word. and Father, we thank you for telling us the truth. We thank you for exposing in your word what the depraved hearts of men are capable of. Oh, Lord, thank you for having spared us from many of these things. Thank you that for many souls, they have been delivered from this world, delivered from themselves, delivered from the devil. And Lord, I pray that you will fill us with your spirit, fill us with your truth. Jesus said the truth will make you free. And Father, we just pray that you will help us to be steadfast, established in the truth of the gospel, revealed in your word, through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask it for his sake. Amen.